0: This evening we're going to be considering the omniscience of God, chapter 15 of our study. Let me open with a word of prayer and then we'll jump right into the the introductory paragraph. Father, there's nothing more profitable to us than to know you and to have a more clear understanding of who you are and to be taught by you about yourself. Lord, you've revealed yourself clearly in in your word and yet we still need the help of the Holy Spirit to illuminate and make application of the truth. So we're asking that you would do that for us in the next Several minutes for your glory, Lord, not for ours, but for yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll jump in here. We're going to begin by considering the word omniscience. Remember, omni means what? All. Omni means all. Anytime you see that word, you know that it's talking about all or everything And for those of you who are this far in your schooling, you know that the rest of the word is the word science. It looks like omni-science. The word science, and there's the Latin there, uh, skians or skians from skier to know. The idea, the the meaning of the word science is knowledge. So when we put this together, omni-science, the word means all-knowledge or all-knowing. So when we say that God is omniscient, we're saying God is all-knowing. He says it refers to the attribute of possessing all knowledge. The omniscience of God indicates that He possesses perfect knowledge of all things past, present, and future. Immediately, effortlessly, simultaneously, everything all at once, and exhaustively. There is nothing hidden from God. There is never the slightest difference between God's knowledge and what really is. He knows all the facts and He interprets them with perfect wisdom. In other words, to say that God is omniscient is to say, God knows everything. Our confession agrees with what he's just said, putting it this way. In His sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature. That is, it does not depend on any creature. So as nothing is to Him contingent or uncertain. Excuse me. God knows everything. Or God knows everything. All things in His sight. All things are open and manifest. Now, what do we mean by all things? Now, we could, I could take until 7 o'clock and I could just start naming things. And I wouldn't be finished by the time we got there to just try to get in your mind what would fall into the category of all things. Because, you know, all things fit into that category. It would be everything. God knows everything we could put it this way all things is every piece of information related to god himself he knows himself fully and perfectly and also every created thing we could say and and the relationship that every created thing shares with every other created thing and with god every every data point that we can fathom and even and infinite number of data points that we cannot even imagine. God knows them all, to use His words, immediately, that is without mediation. He doesn't need anything between Him and the knowledge to get it immediately. Effortlessly, His mind is, is not like gears turning and trying to figure things out. Effortlessly, simultaneously, all of them at once, as if they were all of them one indivisible speck of information, and exhaustively, there's nothing about anything that God does not know. He knows everything. To quote George Swinnick, He knows whatsoever has been, whatsoever is, whatsoever shall be, whatsoever can be, whatsoever cannot be. He knows all substances, accidents, necessary and contingent things. He makes all, upholds all, governs all, and discerns all. Accidents there doesn't mean that He knows every time somebody trips or stubs their toe. I think this would be in the realm of philosophy. Uh, the, The substance or essence of a thing, for example, myself, would be humanity, I, I, am, uh, I am a particular instance of the human nature. but there are accidents about me that are not necessary to the human nature. For example, my hair color, my eye color. If, if my eyes were a different color, I would still be a human being. If my hair was a different color, I would still be a human being. Those were, philosophically speaking, those were called accidents. and they are necessary things and there are, there are accidents, with regard to the substance of a thing. God knows all of those things about every possible substance that there is. And so then he goes on and and goes into these two reactions that are going to be produced from this attribute of God. For the Christian, the omniscience of God instills great confidence and comfort. God knows our every need. He understands our every trial. He has given us His infallible Word to guide us through life. It's good news to us. But for the unbeliever, the omniscience of God instills terror because God will judge every man according to His perfect knowledge of all the facts. No sin is hidden or will be forgotten. Every creature, every deed and every thought is before Him like an open book young people, you children, you think you're hiding things from your parents. You're, you're not going to stand in the judgment before your parents. It doesn't matter if you hide, if, if, if you get away with whatever in front of your parents. Because God knows, God sees. And if you're an unbeliever, that should strike fear in your heart. We would all do well, as we consider this truth, to pay attention. As we walk through this, pay attention to what's happening in your heart. Ask what is happening in me? What does this attribute do to my heart and my mind? When I consider the fact that God knows everything, does that put me at rest and peace? Or does that make me a little nervous? Pay attention to yourself. So we begin in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 3. And we're going to begin with... A name, he says, as hes said in many chapters, a name has great significance and communicates something about the person who bears it. And so First Samuel chapter two verse three, we'll turn there together. We we'll read these words, "Boast, no more, so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with Him actions are weighed. The question is, what does this communicate about the omniscience of God? Well, this title is given to Him. A God of knowledge. He's a God of knowledge. God does not merely possess knowledge. He is Himself a God of knowledge. Of knowledge we could say he is in himself the source and fountain of all knowledge. as an infinite and intelligent spirit God must have what we would call a mind and understanding or, or knowledge and scripture makes this clear Romans 11:34 who has known the mind of the Lord Isaiah 4028 8 his understanding is inscrutable he has, what is relatable to us as a mind, an understanding. It's, it's similar to that which we have, except it's unlike our knowing and our understanding. Swinnick points out again, knowledge is an attribute of God, whereby He understands all things in and of Himself. That means God is the source of the knowledge of God. This is what we mean by He knows everything... Immediately. He doesn't need to go outside of Himself to know anything that He knows. He is the source of His knowledge. It's in and of Himself. He is the God of knowledge. God doesn't arrive at conclusions. He possesses full and complete knowledge in Himself. I kept thinking about this this morning. We use words like, who designed this This gospel. Who contrived this? And we almost imagine like God has has laid out the blueprints on His table and He's He's putting things together and He's arranging and He's thinking and He's, He's moving pieces around, coming up with the plan. No. No, God simply knows. And it is all infinite knowledge in Himself. He says, "...the Lord is the God who sees and knows all things." Knowledge is not something that God must attain, search for, or gather. But it is something that He always possesses perfectly, immediately, effortlessly, simultaneously, and exhaustively. So if we were to ask, how long has God known all things? Well, the answer would be, we would have to say, that the eternal God has Eternally known all things. It's bad English, but we could say God has never not known everything, all things. God did not come to know, but knows eternally, perfectly, immediately, effortlessly, simultaneously, and exhaustively every possible data point with regard to Himself and all creation. His mind is. Infinite, or, or we could say God is infinite intellect, infinite mind, infinite knowledge, understanding, infinite comprehension, and discernment, and wisdom. Now, we, we struggle, some of us more than others, to juggle multiple tasks. And even those who would say, well, I'm, I'm pretty good at multitasking, you still have to, to some extent, pull your mind off of one thing to focus on another thing even if it's just two of them. Maybe you're you're exceptional. And you can juggle five things at once. You still have to at least a little pull your mind away from one to consider another. But God, this is another quote from Swinnick, God, quote, takes all distinctly Particularly and at once, in other words, all of these infinite data points, pieces of information that we, if we wanted to say it that way, that God knows it is not as though it 's in the mind of God like a blur, or like there 's this just mass of confusion, or lines are getting crossed as god is is orchestrating things, no, no, all of it distinctly, particularly all at once, fully. He knows all things. Infinite knowledge. How did God come to know all things? Well, we've already said it. He didn't come to know all things. As I've said before, God God can't be taught. You can't teach Him anything. God is uneducated. God is unlearned. God doesn't know anything by revelation, instruction, or communication. Job asks... Rhetorically, in Job 21, can anyone teach God knowledge? Not even God can teach God because He already knows all things. All that is to be known, all these infinite data points, pieces of information, all that is to be known, had its existence, we could say, in the abstract, from eternity in the eternal mind of God and it is from the mind of God that all things come through His eternal decree. It's not that things somehow had a being and then God came to know them. No. God knew them first. They they, they existed in His mind first and then they came to be in, in... in the concrete, we would say, the abstract, in the concrete. They came to be in the concrete after they had an existence in His eternal decree. John Gill says, He knows all things future that will be because He has determined they shall be. It is His will that gives futurition to them. In other words... N- nothing happens, nothing can be. There's no thing that could possibly be known that was not first in the mind of God. And that's what caused it to be. God willed it from his own eternal will. He says there must certainly, he must certainly know what he wills shall be. It began in the mind, the infinite mind of God. He knows all things. He's the God of knowledge and notice the verse said, With him, actions are weighed. Actions are weighed. God doesn't simply know data points, He's, he's not just like a, an infinite computer. No, God discerns and weighs and evaluates the morality and righteousness of all of these things and how they relate to Him. With Him actions are weighed. God is a God of knowledge. Now let's turn to Daniel chapter 2. We'll see the next point, the next passage, Daniel 2, 20 to 22. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for... Wisdom and power belong to Him. Wisdom being the, we, we could say, the, the attribute of God that, that designs His purposes and plans. The power of God being that which brings them to fruition and executes His plans. Wisdom and power belong to Him. It is He who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men "...and knowledge to men of understanding. It is He who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with Him." So we see again, God is in Himself the source of all knowledge. Now, Daniel's referring there specifically to the to special revelation that would become a prophetic revelation... But I think we would also deduce from this that any knowledge, any understanding possessed by any man about anything comes from God. God did it. Psalm 94.10 He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke even he who teaches man knowledge? Nobody has any knowledge except that which comes from God. When we read from Matthew 16, Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. We we know that Christ is talking about a special uh, revelation of grace from the Father. But we also understand Peter would not even have known his own name if God had not given him knowledge. Nobody has any knowledge. You don't know your right foot from your left foot if God does not give that knowledge to the mind of men. He's the source of all knowledge. God being the infinite and eternal source of knowledge, or the the infinite divine mind, no thing that is to be known can be known apart from God giving that knowledge. He's a God of knowledge, the source of knowledge, the giver of knowledge because He alone knows all things. We come to the third heading. It says, In the following scriptures, several words are used to describe God's omniscience. Through our understanding of these words, we can begin to grasp something of the greatness of God's knowledge. So We're going to look at a few words. The first is Job 37, 16. Job 37, verse 16. Do you know about the layers of the thick clouds, the wonders of one perfect in knowledge? Notice here God's knowledge is referred to as perfect. And there the note. Says the Hebrew. This is the Hebrew word "tamim." We we saw this same word when we talked about the perfection of God or the completeness of God. It denotes that which is whole, complete, entire, blameless, lacking in nothing. So we would say God's knowledge is whole, complete, entire, blameless, lacking nothing. It's a perfect knowledge. George Swinnock again. To this knowledge, nothing can be given or added. And from His knowledge, nothing can be taken. It admits of no increase or decrease. God never learned anything. He never forgot anything. His knowledge is perfect. The next text is Psalm 147, verses 4 and 5. Psalm 147, verses 4 and 5. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. This word is from the Hebrew word ayin, which denotes that which is innumerable or beyond counting. Other synonyms would include Endless, inscrutable, unfathomable, and unsearchable. So God's knowledge is endless, inscrutable, unfathomable, and unsearchable. It's infinite. Or we could say, because God is infinite in being in perfection, that's the language of our confession, God is infinite in being in perfection, all that is in God must be infinite in being and perfection, without bounds, without limits, and therefore God's knowledge... It has no boundaries. It has no limits. It's infinite. Infinite in knowledge. And then the the last text, which uses the same word, I'll just read it, Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Same word, infinite, endless unfathomable, unsearchable. This is God's knowledge. Now let's turn to Isaiah 44 for the the fourth heading, or the fourth point, Isaiah 44. It says, it's important to understand that God's knowledge is not limited to the present. So God doesn't just know what's happening right now. He doesn't just know everything now. He knows everything now and in the past and in the future. And that's what we see in in these two texts from Isaiah 44. And then we'll turn to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation. That would be the past. And let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. That's the future. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. God is saying... Step to the plate. Here's the line. Step up. Is there any other God? Is there anybody else who can do what I've done? Declaring the end from the beginning. Anybody else? And There there is none. And notice there in that passage, one of the applications of this for the people of God, do not tremble and do not be afraid. We're going to come back to that, but keep that in mind. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things long past, things in the past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. That's declaring the future from the beginning. The beginning, from ancient times, things which have not been done, that's the future, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. In both of these passages we see, God announces from the beginning all that will be. He knows everything, past, present, and future, because He's the one who declared it. He announced that it would be. All the way down to the, name the most insignificant happening of your day yesterday. God declared it from ancient times, that it would be. That is what gives... We we could say that is what gives being to every fact, every reality of human history. What gives it its being is the eternal decree of God. The starting point for a thing to be known is not that it happens and then God comes to know it, or that God... You hear this a lot. God looks down the corridors of time. And he saw that it would be. And he just that's how he knows. Well, who built these corridors? Who's the framer here? Who put all this stuff together? The corridors of time existed and then God came about and hey, there's a corridor. No. God declared the corridors of time. They exist because of him. God wills in Himself all things whatsoever come to pass. And all that God wills to be receives its being as a thing to be known from God. It starts in God. You see how I often say, when we get into discussions and oftentimes debates about... uh, Election, predestination, sovereignty of God and salvation. And, and people, they, they really they tend to get sort of bent out of shape. Listen, if you believe that God is omniscient, the debate is settled. It it stops there. Nothing happens. A, a rock doesn't get stuck in the tread of your tire in your driveway unless God declared it from ancient times. He knew it and he knows where it's going to fly off going down the road and where it's going to stop. That's the only way anything can happen, is God's decree, God's will. The only other option is that something is orchestrating events and God is just coming along learning. You you either affirm that God is omniscient or you have to affirm He's not. And if He's not, somebody else is. And that's why I say those those discussions to me are, are, are null and void. Let's just talk about the attributes of God. I don't, I don't, let's just settle who God is. That, that clears the issue. He knows all things. Now let's turn to Psalm 139. We read this passage last week de- dealing with God's omnipresence. Now we're going to use it to notice God's omniscience. And this a uh, copy of the NAS actually has this heading in Psalm 139, God's Omnipresence and Omniscience. So maybe that might be in all of them. I don't know. Psalm 139, we're going to look at verses 1 to 4 and then verses 11 and 12. He says, this is, Here's found one of the most beautiful and thorough descriptions of the omniscience of God and His knowledge of the deeds of men. So we'll just walk through it. Verse 1, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. So here David describes God as a probing or searching God and David is saying that God knows him fully. If you've got a Bible that uses italics, you can see that the word at the end, the word me is in italics, which means it's not there. You have searched me and known. God knows everything. But we aren't to take this as if God were literally searching for information. Here's David. Here here comes along God. Let let me check you out. Let Let me learn some things about you. Rather, God is being described as He eternally is. Eternally knowing every intricate detail of David and every man as if... He had performed an exhaustive search. For us, we would have to probe and search and ask questions. And even as we ask questions, we hope we're getting honest answers. That's how we would describe it. You've searched me. But, but in God, really, it's it's he, he just knows everything as if He had performed an exhaustive search. The note says, God's knowledge reaches to the profoundest depth of a man's being. The deepest recesses of a man's heart and mind are like an open book before the Lord. We know from Genesis 6, 5, that God knows every intent of the thought of man's heart, that they are only evil continually. So God doesn't just know your thoughts. God knows the intents of your thoughts. Every motivation that gives rise to a thought that leads to an action, God already knows it. He knows all things. Verse 2, You know when I sit down... And when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. Again, sitting down, rising up. The point is, every detail of every action of every day is known to God from the foundation of the world. You don't have to give God your schedule. You don't have to let Him know, I'll be here, I'll be there. He already knows all of it. And he says, you understand my thought from afar. Now, we have to be careful that we don't read that thinking uh, the way we often use that word. Well, well, God understands. As if God might somehow sympathize with our sinful thoughts. Well, God understands. We, we've got to know that's not what it's saying. It means God has a full comprehension of your thoughts, even though He is infinitely above us. And He does not sympathize in any way with our sin. He he really understands all of your thoughts. Verse 3, you scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. The note there says that this word scrutinize is translated from the Hebrew word zarah, which means to scatter, to fan, or to winnow. In the process of winnowing, the wheat is separated from the chaff. In a similar but infinitely more profound manner, God is able to winnow the hearts of man and discern every thought with perfect accuracy. In other words, God knows all that you do and God knows why you do it. And again, it's not as though you do it and then God comes along and says, Okay, it's, it's winnowing time. Let me check this thing out. No, God has known from eternity. He's already winnowed all of your thoughts and all of your deeds. He already knows what is chaff and what is wheat. Because He knows all things eternally. Verse 4, even before there is a word on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it all. God's not waiting to hear what you say. He knows it. God's not watching to see the the expression on your face to then try to judge what you were thinking when you made that face. He already knows. He knows your thoughts. And then verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. To us, there are things hidden. There are things revealed. There are things that we, we know a little bit about and there are things that we don't know anything about. There are things that we know more about. There are circumstances and times that to us seem very fearful. We don't know what's on the horizon. We don't know what's coming. They appear to be uh, unsettling. and And that seems to be what David's hinting at. If I say, darkness will overwhelm me, it's going to take me over. I don't know what's happening and it's going to overwhelm me. Then he stops and he says, no, darkness is like light to you. In God, there are not these distinctions of what is revealed and what is not revealed, what is known and what is not unknown. He already knows. All is exposed and opened and light to God. All right, now we have several fill in the blanks. We won't turn to these, we'll just read them. He says, according to the Scriptures, there is no depth or secret in the heart of man that is beyond the reach of God's knowledge. What do the following Scriptures teach us about this truth? The first one, 1 Kings 8, 39, Here in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act, and render to each man according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all men. God knows the hearts of every man. You alone know the hearts of all men. That's God. What can we infer from that? Negatively, you and I do not know the hearts of all men. Only God knows men's hearts. We should be very careful when ascribing motives to people's hearts. We don't know. It would be be better to, to not ascribe than to risk being a slanderer, especially of our brothers and sisters. Only God knows the heart. Psalm 7 verse 9. Oh, let the evil of wicked men come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. That word tries means He examines or He, he proves, He tests. Again, it's the idea of winnowing or, or putting something through the furnace to see that which is pure and that which is impure. God does it with all hearts and all minds. Psalm ninety four eleven. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere breath. We have big lofty thoughts. We think we're very intelligent, very smart. We think we, we make grand discoveries. Right? God says, that's a breath, that's a puff. I, I, I willed that from eternity. And you're just now coming along to scratch the surface of God's knowledge. Romans 2.16, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. God knows all the hearts of men. God sees them perfectly for what they are. And God will render justice to all the secret thoughts of men. Elsewhere, Jesus says, you will give an account for every idle word. Think of every person that's ever lived and every idle word that's ever come out of the mouths of every person who has ever lived. God heard them all. Knows them all. Now, at the beginning of that, number six, there's no depth or secret in the heart of man that is beyond the reach of God's knowledge. And when we say that nothing is beyond the reach of God's knowledge, that doesn't mean that the information is out there somewhere in a, a filing cabinet and God's got the key. And you know, if God wants to go find it, He'll go look it down. He'll, he can find out whatever He wants. No. He already knows everything. He knows all things. He doesn't need to reach for it. He already knows all the secrets of your heart. Every private thought every darting glance, every reason behind every action. God knows all things infallibly. He doesn't know it. There's no need for you to think that you might someday explain to God, explain yourself. I tell the kids often when they get in trouble, they say, well, well I, was, I was just doing... I'm not asking you to explain yourself. We're not having a conversation. You don't need to explain yourself. I don't need that information. You don't need to justify yourself. With God, it's infinitely more so. There's not going to be an opportunity to explain yourself because God already knows infallibly. And very often when we think we're explaining ourselves, we don't know infallibly. We're covering up. We're justifying. God knows. Number seven, for the Christian, the omniscience of God instills great confidence, comfort, and joy. We can rest secure that God is always watching us, and that He knows our every need and understands our every trial. And we have some scriptures to that point. The first one, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on you will surely have wars. Now, anytime we see the language of a human body part, we know that's an anthropomorphism. Big word that just means we're using the language of the, the bodies of a creature to articulate something about God. The eyes of the Lord look Move to and fro. It's not saying God is literally looking around, trying to find anything. He's not seeking after information. Remember, He knows everything immediately. He doesn't have perceptors. We have eyeballs between the information and our minds. I think our our eyeballs can take in something like over a million... Uh, pieces of information at once. Our eyeballs. Colors and things that we can just with our eyes. Well, that's just a human eye. And God created the human eye. God has no sensory organs or receptors. So it's not that He's actually searching. The point is that God is immutably devoted to strengthen and support His people in every place, in every circumstance, according to the needs of each one of them. And He knows all of our needs. All of them. They move to and and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. The next three passages are in the Gospel of Matthew, so we can turn there two from Matthew 6 and one from Matthew 10. Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then verses 31 and 32 of that same chapter Do not worry then," saying, "'What will we eat or what will we drink?' or what will we wear for clothing?" Do not worry then," saying, "'What will we eat and what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing.'" Do not worry then, saying, "'What will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear for clothing.'" Do not worry then, saying, "'What will we eat, what will we drink and what will we wear for clothing.'" Some of you kids are going to get that. There's a rhythm to that. You should say it Every day, Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? That is a command from God. Do not worry. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. The nations, the Gentiles, the unbelieving world, they seek after all these things. They're worried about them. Your heavenly Father knows what you need or knows that you need all these things. Again, every need of every saint is already known. Every future need for every circumstance in every nation, under every government, under heaven, God already knows. Already knows. No situation can arise in any place where any single saint can go unnoticed uncared for unprovided for by God it can't happen it's not possible because we belong to him what are we afraid of what is there to be afraid of do not worry then saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing she's very often we act like that that up until a certain point, you, some, something's going to happen, you know, in, in the world, in, in our nation, whatever. Something's going to happen, we, we think. Something's going to happen. Up until that line, I've been the one assessing all my needs and taking care of all my needs. But then this thing's going to happen. And all of a sudden, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? You're not doing it now. You're not assessing your needs now, you're not caring for yourself now, your heavenly Father is making all of your provision now so then so then what are we afraid of if you, this line gets crossed well well, then all we'll have to do is or all, all we'll have then is is God that's all we have now but in our in our unbelief, we think right now in in certain situations well I'm the one doing it. But well, it might get so bad that, well, I can't do it anymore. Then what? No, no. God's doing it now. God's assessing now. God's providing now. God will provide then. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And the next one is Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. God's knowledge extends to the most intricate details of our physical bodies. Do we not think that he can care for us? That he can make provision? He does it for the sparrows. You know, you know they don't, they don't worry, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, and what will we wear for clothing. Birds don't do that. They just go out and get it, and, and he takes care of us. We're of more value than many sparrows. He knows and meets the needs of every beast on earth. Every blade of of grass is in its proper place. Every cloud is right where it should be. God sees them all, knows them all, orders all things perfectly. You and your needs are more important than all of that to God. All of it. As a matter of fact, He's working all of that together for the good of those who love Him. For those who are called according to His purpose. Are we afraid that He's going to sanctify us a little more? Are we afraid that He might make us a little more like Christ through some affliction? What are we afraid of? God knows all things. Number eight, as we have learned, the omniscience of God does not produce the same reaction in all men. Everything depends upon one's relationship with God. For the unbeliever, the omniscience of God instills terror because God will judge every man according to his perfect knowledge of all the facts. No sin is hidden or will be forgotten. Every creature, every deed, and every thought is before Him like an open book. What do the following Scriptures teach us about this truth? Let me just read these for the sake of time. Job 34, 21 to 23. For His eyes are upon the ways of man, and He sees all His steps. There is no darkness or deep shadow where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he does not need to consider a man further that he should go before God in judgment. Nobody can hide any of their sins from God. He already knows. God does not have to give a second act of His divine mind to consider your sin any further. He already knows it all. You cannot hide your sin from God. Psalm 33, 13 to 15, The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From His dwelling place He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of, hearts of them all, He who understands all their works. He knows all that we do. He understands. He knows the details and motivation behind all that we do. No sinful motivation. Even for a righteous act is hidden from God. Later on tonight, some of us will be downstairs cleaning up probably and God's going to know, are you doing it for the right reason or the wrong reason? The rest of us, we're not going to be able to tell. God knows. He knows everything. Proverbs 5.21, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Jeremiah 32.19, the Lord of hosts is his name great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Hebrews 4.13 And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Nothing is hidden from God. We will give an account based on what he sees, not based on what we think or what we chose to reveal to other men or what we chose to think in our own minds about what we were doing or didn't do. That will not be the standard by which these things are measured. Thinking that you have properly shielded yourself from the coming judgment by self-justification is like building a storm shelter out of toothpicks. It will not protect you. It won't work. You can justify yourself before men. You justify yourself even in your own mind. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. God is not considering any of that. He sees all and judges all rightly. Let me close with this because I do want to leave a word of comfort. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is our Lord's interaction with Peter at the end of John's Gospel John 21, 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. We cannot serve up to the standard of our desires many times. We cannot love God, as we know He ought to be loved, we, we, we can't do enough. We know that what He deserves is far higher than anything we can do. And very often, our prayers will be characterized by this line of thinking. Lord, You know that I love You. That should be a comfort to us. He knows our hearts in sin, but He also knows our hearts when we, when we don't meet up to, to what we know God, is, God, God is, is worthy of in our worship and our obedience and our striving. And so we have to say, Lord, You know all things. You know that I love You. And He does. He knows that You love Him. Let's pray.